questions podcast from those nerdy girls at Dear Pandemic. Here on the podcast, we chat with experts across many disciplines of science to explore how our interconnected world is being reshaped by the COVID-19 pandemic. Find us on our website at dearpandemic.org. I'm your host, Dr. Malia Jones, hybrid social infectious disease epidemiologist at UW-Madison's Applied Population Laboratory and editor-in-chief at Dear Pandemic. Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Malia Jones, Editor-in-Chief at Dear Pandemic, and I'm joined again this morning by Lindsay Leininger of Dartmouth College and also of my fellow nerdy girl of Dear Pandemic. So how are you, Lindsay? I'm okay. How are you, Dr. Jones? I'm okay. It's been a rough week for epidemiologists and people who study infectious disease, right? It's been grim. There's really no other word for it. It is really grim. We have seen places all over the country setting new milestones. Um, Fort Worth, Texas yesterday had 848 cases, which is a one day record. Where I am in Wisconsin, we set a one day record for deaths as well as posted over 4,000 new cases. And the United States as a whole set a record for the most number of new cases so far yesterday as well with over 83,000 new cases. So it is really grim. And we're bracing for a rough winter, unfortunately. All the estimates suggest that this is going to get worse and not better. So while we all are dealing with this and facing with this, it's really important we stay connected and in community. And we just want um, our beloved community to know that we're here for you. And we will keep communicating and connecting through the rough months ahead. Yeah. So Dr. Leininger and I were just talking before I hit the go live button that here in Wisconsin, it feels a little bit like people are giving up, that there's kind of nothing that we can do at this point, which is really unfortunate because there is something that we can do which is to stop the spread of the disease by wearing masks and avoiding crowded indoor situations and um, staying safe. So we're gonna talk about staying safe today. Indeed. So um, I wanna start off with a thank you to our readers as always. We use the questions that are in our question box to figure out what we're gonna talk about in the next week on Dear Pandemic and also to pick specific questions to answer here in our weekly live Q&A. So if you have a question, put it in our question box on our website. It's dearpandemic.org and we will get to that hopefully in the next week or so. So today we have a new format. We're gonna try a lightning round. We are going to tackle 10 brief questions with only yes, no, or unknown answers. This is a real challenge for scientists. Just stick (laughs) to a one word answer. All right, so do you wanna start off with questions, Lindsay? I do. So I'm gonna ask Malia five questions and then she's gonna ask me five questions. All right, Dr. Jones, here goes. First, Teresa from Black Creek. Is that Wisconsin, Malia? It is Wisconsin. Okay, Wisconsin, thank you. 
Is it true that COVID tests cannot distinguish between COVID, the common cold, and the flu? No, that is not true. <laughs> Katrina in the Bay Area, is it safe to eat takeout sushi or other raw food? Yes. Paulina from Mexico, is hydrogen peroxide sold as Vita de Yun, a treatment or preventive medicine for COVID? No, no. It is not. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Are there any evidence-based preventive medicines for COVID at all? No, not right now. David in Stroud, United Kingdom. Do blood ox, blood oxygen saturation levels help in diagnosis? No, not in diagnosis. All right, my turn. I tried, I tried to stick to one word. You did great. <laughs> Kessem in Hollywood, Florida, and also Rebecca in Highland Park, Illinois, want to know, can we have a contractor in our home? Yes, and we've written about it on Dear Pandemic. Okay, Joanna in New York City, should we replace our cloth masks at some point? Good idea, yes. Agreed. Gina in St. Louis, are enclosed tents, like the ones restaurants are starting to set up to keep operating through the winter, enough like the outdoors to be considered outdoors. Sadly, not at all. No. No. <laughs> Colleen in State College, Pennsylvania. Can I pet my friend's dog outdoors? Happily, yes. Yes. And Lisa in Iowa wants to know, masks, do I get some protection from others by wearing mine? Happily, yes. Yes, absolutely. So uh, a lot of the questions in our question box are, and including almost all of these ones, are things that we have addressed before. So I really want to encourage you to go check out our website, dearpandemic.org. It's very easy to search and you could just put in, for example, the word dog and you would get a post about whether it's safe to pet your friend's dog. Um, some of these are things we haven't addressed yet, but I think they're really good ideas because they're, they're um, pretty straightforward answers. So. All right, well, that was fun. I think we did okay. I think we did okay, yeah. Which one were you the most like, oh, I need to say more on that? Oh, the restaurants, because I, I, yeah, I've done too. a lot of media about indoor dining, so. Yeah. I got yes. some feelings, but I didn't share them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Lindsay, I think we need an update on treatment news. There's been a bunch of news about treatments in the last week or two. What can you share with us about treatments? Yeah, thanks for the question, Malia. So there has been some treatment news. Uh, the FDA just this week broadened its approval for remdesivir, the antiviral. Uh, this is a big step in regulatory science. Um, it's gonna broaden access to the drug uh, in hospital settings and in acute care hospital-like settings. Um, but you know, interestingly and confusingly, although this is science, it's messy, there were some clinical trial results this week from a large global study that suggested that remdesivir did not have any protective effects in a randomized controlled trial in very real world settings across the globe. So how do we reconcile these two things? There's sufficient evidence for the FDA to go forward with an approval in the US, but there's some conflicting results that we're seeing from a global trial. So what's the reckoning here? I think what's really important for us to understand is what remdesivir and other antivirals might actually do for COVID, right? So antivirals 
really we think they're only going to work towards the beginning of the disease. So if you think of an antiviral like a basement water pump, I, I am sadly the veteran of several basement floods living Indeed, in I Chicago. I have a basement water pump. <laughs> right. So Malia, those of us who have Midwestern uh, experiences, lived experiences, have dealt with this. And you know that your basement water pump and even its backup, which we had in Chicago, are great when the water and the floods are starting. But they're not going to help you once your basement already has two feet of water, right? They're not the right tool at that point. So we can think of remdesivir and other antivirals as the basement water pump. You really got to get there when the waters are starting to potentially accrue. And once the basement's flooded, that's when our immune systems have really kind of wreaked havoc. And that's when antivirals are no longer effective. That's when something like a steroid is effective. Right. Here's what we know about the remdesivir trials. We know that they've been done in settings where the basement water is like actually already kind of starting to accrue. So where the science needs to head and hope and, and we hope that it heads is to see if remdesivir is effective earlier on when the storm is threatening. For example, healthcare workers with risky occupational exposures, or when the storm has started raining, like someone who's been exposed to a known COVID case who perhaps has coughed on them or a family member, right? right. Um, who's been exposed, but doesn't yet have symptoms themselves to a situation where you are showing symptoms, but it's very early on. So these are, the, these are where we think the basement pump might be effective. And this is where we're hoping that the science might go. Kind of hard to know what's going on with the WHO trial, the WHO trial, because the setting was wildly uncontrolled and very variable. So it's kind of hard to know how to generalize those findings to a US hospital-based setting, where we now have three randomized control trials suggesting effectiveness. Not a miracle, just effectiveness of remdesivir. Right. And also, related to I that, I just, I just wanted to highlight, people might be familiar with Tamiflu, which is an antiviral treatment for influenza. And um, those of us who have gotten influenza, last year we had a terrible um, outbreak of influenza type B that lasted up right up until we went into social distancing for COVID. And you can't take Tamiflu after the first couple of days of symptoms because it won't do anything. So that's very similar. You have to do it early. That's similar. And Malia, thank you for that prompt. So um, I had the pleasure of partnering with an infectious disease physician, former hospital epidemiologist and clinical trial investigator of antivirals to write a post on this very issue. So we'll drop it in the links so people can look at it. One point I also want to make, hydroxychloroquine failed another trial this week, and that was for when the storm is threatening types of situations. So this was trialed in by University of Minnesota investigators, really well done trial design, showing that healthcare workers who have a lot of occupational exposure to COVID got no benefit from preventively or proactively taking hydroxychloroquine. So what can we say now? Hydroxychloroquine has failed trials across the, it's threatening to storm, the rain is drizzling, the floodwaters are rising, the flood is you know, upon us. So we have a lot of evidence now that suggests that hydroxychloroquine is not effective as a basement pump period. Um, and you know, remdesivir, I think the evidence is a little trickier, but, but it does lean positive so far. Yeah. And we will keep everyone apprised. 
So I love this discussion because it really highlights the need to have multiple studies and have sort of an accumulation of evidence before we just take home you know, one main point. And this is very helpful, I think, when you're reading the news about whatever new trial or whatever new result has come out that science is, science is a discussion. It's not a point in time, right? We, we very rarely just have one study, maybe never, just have one study and say, this is the end of the story. It's just not how um, the scientific process works. And so our understanding is always evolving. And when we get an accumulation, like we have with hydroxy, then we start to say, okay, this really looks like the conclusion that we can draw. Indeed, and just to, to tie this very important point back to the remdesivir example, if you look at the FDA approval communication, another link that we're gonna drop, it actually says we now have three randomized controlled trials of high quality that are suggestive of benefit. So the regulators, policymakers, rarely move on one piece of evidence, right? Like Malia said, it takes an accumulation. So I get to ask you a question now, correct? Yes, you do. Uh, okay, Shalini from DC, thank you for writing in. Do I need to wear a mask walking alone outside if no one else is around and you can easily keep distance if someone turns up? My stress relief from work childcare right now is taking a 30 minute daily walk by myself in our quiet neighborhood. Breathing fresh air a few minutes every day feels restoring. Is what I'm doing putting people at risk? Yeah, thanks for writing, Shalini. This is a great question. And we actually got a bunch of questions about wearing masks and distancing outside this week. It was a real strong theme. And I just saw someone in the chat who also asked a question about um, distancing outside. So I'm gonna try to tackle this. I think that the, all these questions about wearing masks outside, it really reflects the shift that we've gone through in how normal it seems to be wearing a mask, right? We're now wearing masks. We're now asking questions about whether we need to wear a mask even in our yards because we're seeing our neighbors do that, which is a real norm shift. That's, I think that's good news. So it sounds like it's very important to Shalini to have this uh, time outside without a mask on. And frankly, we love self-care and stress reduction because boosting our mood and reducing our stress can protect us from, you know, that protects our immune system and uh, can protect us from being at risk for getting COVID. And so, you know, the truth is if you're outside and you're in a sparsely populated environment, like it sounds like Shalini is in a quiet neighborhood, passing someone on a trail or on the sidewalk briefly is no big deal. You don't need to wear a mask when you're on a walk like that. And so I think the circumstances of Shalini's mask make this situation very low risk. Uh, the circumstances of Shalini's walks make this situation really low risk and she does not need to wear a mask. Um, now I'm gonna add in a whole bunch of ifs here and if all of the ifs make your head spin or maybe it's just stressful for you to always be wondering whether you should be wearing a mask and puzzling about what is that line where i should be wearing a mask then just wear one like just make the call and wear the mask and then you won't have to think about it anymore right so here are the here are the rest of the ifs if you're outside and you're hanging out with other people for say more than a couple of minutes i would say yes you should be wearing a mask um, no matter whether you're inside or outside of six feet of them, right? If you're hanging out together for, say, more than five minutes, you should be wearing a mask. If you live in a city 
and there are always a bunch of other people around. So there isn't an opportunity to go for a walk where there aren't a bunch of other people that you're passing all the time, then you should be wearing a mask. If you're walking across the crowded quad in between classes on campus, you should be wearing a mask. If you live in a place where it's required and there are some states where it is required to wear a mask outside, then yeah, you should be wearing a mask outside, right? That's, that's the norm setting that we're trying to achieve. Um, and then the other thing is if you're outside and you're hanging around with other people in close proximity for a long time, like you're, I don't know, having a bonfire and you're um, singing, I don't know, maybe you're having some kind of fall festival, you're singing around the bonfire for a long time. Could you please stop doing that? That's, that's not safe with or without a mask outside, right? So the point I wanna make is that the, the protections that we have to keep ourselves safe from COVID and to prevent spread in communities are layers, right? This is the Swiss cheese model. No one thing will protect us 100%, but wearing a mask is one thing we can do and being outside is another thing we can do. And then maintaining our distance, uh, our physical distance from other people is the third thing we can do. So the more of them you can do, the better off you'll be. I think if you are outside and you're not close to other people, then probably a mask is not adding a whole lot. Okay, so that was a whole bunch of ifs. <laughs> and I think just a perfect metaphor for all of the calculations we're all doing every day in our brains. It's, How taxing, right? <laughs> it's really taxing. Yeah, that's why I led with, if the decision process is just driving you crazy, just wear one, right? Then you don't have to decide. That might actually make you feel better about right. the whole, like, oh, should I, should I not? You should just wear one, I think, if, if, it's, um, if it's not challenging you. Shalini said that she really feels like she wants to breathe fresh air without a mask on, and I think in her situation, that's okay. All right, well, that is actually all we have for today. But, Malia. But. We're gonna talk about Halloween. Oh yes, that's Because true. Here's, here's the thing, community members. Dr. Jones, our editor-in-chief, is the queen of Halloween. <laughs> well, that's probably overstating it. Someone out uh, there hey. is a way bigger fan than I am of Halloween. Well, I'm, I'm gonna give you the props that I think you are due. <laughs> So two things, first of all, I'm wearing black and orange uh, to honor the fact that Halloween is coming and that we think we can have a safe Halloween. Yay! Um, even Dr. Mike Osterholm on his podcast last week, which was otherwise pretty grim, said we can save Halloween if we're safe. Yeah. So Malia, how do we save Halloween? Yes, I am on a mission to save Halloween because <laughs> I am so tired of telling people things they don't want to hear. We've been doing this for going on, what is it, nine months now? And like, it's exhausting always being the one who's no, like, no, you can't no. do that. You can't do that. So guess what? We can do Halloween. I'm so excited about that. It's also my favorite holiday. So I am, I am genuinely excited. So first of all, like all other contexts, please do not have you know, football watch parties or homecoming events or uh, costume parties or haunted houses that are indoors. That would be really a, a very high risk kind of environment, just like all the other parties and, and crowded indoor contexts. 
uh, that is too scary even for Halloween. So don't do those things. But I think that if we can do, if we can take those parties outdoors and reduce the number of people that are involved and get everybody wearing a mask, we actually can have a lot of the traditional Halloween and fall celebrations. So it's fine to go to a pumpkin patch that's outdoors. Um, it's okay to go to corn mazes, which I know are not a thing everywhere, but they're a big thing here in the Midwest that I really love. Uh, you can go take pictures at, you know, go for a walk and uh, take pictures in front of all your neighbors, lovely Halloween decorations. You could have a costume parade with the kids or even with the adults, as long as the family groups can be separated from each other and everybody's outside. I think that's fine. Uh, and in addition, I think trick-or-treat, CDC has said that trick-or-treat, traditional trick-or-treat is a high-risk activity, but it's super easy to adapt to being low-risk. So all we need to do to take uh, trick-or-treat from high-risk to pretty low-risk is have the kids, we need to maintain our distance from each other and be wearing masks. So Halloween is already a big mask holiday. As long as the mask covers your nose and mouth, and it's not just your traditional superhero mask with only the eyes, then you're set. So it's a great year to dress up as a surgeon or <laughs> as a super, Spider-Man has a mask over his entire face. My daughter's going to be an astronaut. Oh, nice. Yeah. So she's One got of my helmet. sons is going as the color black. <laughs> and he, he has a hood, like a, like a, He's wearing a black hoodie and then in addition, a, a black mask that covers his entire face. So, so emo costumes might work. <laughs> He's very inventive. My other son's going to be a skeleton and he also has like a, a full face kind of uh, mask. So um, if, your ma if your costume involves a mask that covers your nose and mouth, then that's great. Trick or treat is already outside. So that's great. I think we just need to think about how to hand out treats safely. And I would encourage you to stand outside the whole time that you're handing out treats. And if possible, wear, um, you should wear a mask. And then if possible, use tongs or a grabber to hand the treats to kids so that you can keep a little more distance from them um, and also speed things up. When you let kids, everyone who's done this knows that when you let kids choose their own candy, they really like puzzle over it and it slows them down, which creates those cues of, of kids who bunch up at certain houses and uh, end up in big crowds together. And then I, a lot of people are getting more creative about, about uh, no contact treat delivery and I have seen awesome um, PVC pipe delivery systems, like a chute where you put the candy in at one end and it comes out the other end. I've seen, there was a great thing online recently that somebody had built a zip line that had a little like trolley that delivered the treats down from the porch to people. And then I am going to dress as a pageant queen, misinformation, and stand on a a parade float in my front yard and toss treats off my float to passing children <laughs> and my drawing fans. So <laughs> I think there are a lot of ways to get creative with it. And I think this is going to be a fun Halloween in spite of COVID. In spite of COVID. Yeah. All right. Well, that is all we have time for today. We dropped a link to a Slate article that I authored about trick-or-treating safely. It has a bunch of, a bunch of different ideas in there for you. 
So thanks for hanging out with us this Saturday morning. We'll be back next week, Saturday at 930 uh, Central Time for more Q&A. And if you have a question, we don't take questions cold in the chat because we're scientists and we like to think about things ahead and make sure that we understand the answers we're giving. And so you need to submit your questions to the question box, which is on our website at dearpandemic.org. And I also just want to note that if you prefer to listen to these things on audio only, they are available as a podcast at anchor.fm slash dearpandemic. So you can sign up for it there or search for the Dear Pandemic podcast on, I think, almost all of the podcasting uh, services out there. So thanks for joining me, Lindsay. Thank you. Thanks for joining me, all of our readers, and stay safe and stay sane. Thanks for tuning in. This has been the I Have Questions podcast from those nerdy girls at Dear Pandemic. If you have a COVID question, you can submit it on our website at dearpandemic.org. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And subscribe to our podcast, I Have Questions, wherever you get podcasts or at anchor.fm slash dearpandemic.